Our gospel reading this day comes from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. It's found in the sixth chapter and begins at the 30th verse. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go to the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and, and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, "Uh, five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What if, what if I were to tell you that today's sermon is about tithing? Tithing, as you may remember, is one of the Old Testament's excuse me, one of the Old Testament's messages about giving God one part in ten. And for those of you who are mathematically inclined, that's ten percent. An announced sermon about tithing would lead you to expect that my main point would, would be that we should all tithe, right? But what if instead I said, tithing, tithing is just a measure of how far we as human beings have fallen from the people that God originally made us to be. What would you think then? Actually, today's sermon is not about tithing. It's not about money or our church's budget, though you may want to think about it that way. That's up to you. But I do want to start by talking about tithing. And I do mean to say that tithing is, it is indeed, a measure of our sinfulness. Let's start here. Remember way back in Genesis, in the account of the Garden of Eden, before the fall of humankind, there was no mention of tithing at all. God certainly didn't tithe. He put Adam and Eve in a beautiful garden, and he said to them, you may eat freely of every tree in the garden. Indeed, God went on to warn them to stay away from one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But that was not because God wanted to keep that for himself. That was because God knew that the tree was not good 
for Adam and Eve. He said, for in the day you eat of it, you shall die. And God did not intend that. God was giving generously, you see. He was not withholding one good thing at all. And at the same time, he was protecting humanity from the one thing that could harm them. But one result of that fall, way back at the beginning of our ancestry, is that God's generous spirit doesn't dwell so well within we human beings anymore. It's now more natural for most of us to consider how much we can keep for ourselves. And so God gave instructions about tithing. So that when we sit down to figure out how little we can give away, but still consider ourselves right with God, we have a figure to work with. The tithe. And we do need a guideline, don't we? We need a guideline because in our world there are serious issues of supply and demand. There's often not enough supply to meet humanity's demands. Think about it. There are thousands of people who die of hunger today and every day all around the world. And at the same time, others are figuring out how to keep from eating too many calories. Sad, isn't it? In the beginning, that's not how it was. In that place, the garden, there was no sin. There was no need to talk about tithing. And there was plenty for everyone. That was the ethic of God's garden. Now, you may not have recognized it at first. I didn't. But our gospel story today takes us back to the garden ethic. The story about the feeding of the 5,000 is pretty familiar, I suspect, to most, if not all of you. Jesus is speaking to an enormous crowd by the seashore one day. And as the day goes on, the disciples advise Jesus to send that crowd away so those people can go to some local village or some other place and get their own food. They were probably hungry themselves. But Jesus tells his disciple to get busy. All of them, get busy. Feed the people. In response, the disciples begin to whine It's not possible to feed these people. After they look around and take the inventory, they discover they only have five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. It's just not possible. It's not going to happen. 200 denarii won't buy enough bread. That's enough money for 200 days of labor, two-thirds of a year roughly. It's not possible, Jesus. Wine, wine, wine. But Jesus blesses that small amount of food that they were able to come up with And the disciples pass it out despite their doubts. Everyone there gets something to eat. And the leftovers fill 12 baskets, Mark tells us. Now, I've I've shortened the story a bit here. But if you read it again, either from the link in your bulletin or the Bibles in front of you or when you get home, when you read that story again, you might discover that as miracle stories go, there seems to be some unnecessary information that's added at the end of this one. If you stop right after the words, and all eight, period, you'd still have a miracle story, right? Jesus took what was barely enough to feed a hungry family and made it enough to feed this huge crowd. 
That by itself is a miracle. So at first glance, it doesn't seem like the rest of the story is needed. But Mark piles up more details for us. Not only does everyone eat, we're told, but they are filled. They are filled up. And if we read the story as he originally told it, we don't find out until the very end that there were 5,000 men there. Plus women and children. Now we can do the math. That's likely 12,000 people at the low end could be greater than that. Mark's conclusion then is, in, in my summary, my translation, is something like this. Everybody ate until they could eat no more. And even then, there were 12 baskets chock full of leftovers. And the crowd numbered 5,000 men, and that's not even counting the women and children. And every one of them had all that they could want to eat. This feeding of the crowd illustrates abundance, just as what Lenan read for us from Isaiah this day, illustrated God's abundance. And these examples you see are the ethic of the Garden of Eden all over again. And it doesn't stop there, because in the promise of our Lord in our baptism, that is the ethic of God's kingdom to come as well. The real miracle that day on the seashore is not so much that everybody got a decent meal, but that Jesus took what was not enough and made it more than enough. Abundance, more than enough, profusion, plenty. All of these sorts of terms are descriptions of the world as it would be if only all the people on this created planet of God's were committed to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Consider this. God's ethic is also a reality, a reality that we can conceal and do conceal by our selfishness. Remember that one of the temptations Jesus experienced in the wilderness concerned abundance as well. The devil took Jesus to a high mountain from which Jesus could see all the kingdoms of the world. Then Satan said to Jesus, all of these I will give to you if, if you will fall down and worship me. Satan was offering Jesus a tremendous abundance. But in this case, it was selfish abundance. It was abundance as in plenty for me, not so much for the rest of you. God's abundance is decidedly different. He shows us his bounty, but he doesn't say, all this I will give to you if you will bow down. Instead, he says, all of this is already yours, and it's everybody else's too. On a spiritual level, level, we discover this when God comes to us during the dark moments of our lives. God doesn't spare anything he has in terms of comfort and strength and presence. And on the physical level, God's abundance comes to everybody when we all share what we have. And we see that in the Lord's Supper and in baptisms and in the fellowship of one another in this congregation and in so many other congregations of his church. Now, one interpretation of this story of the feeding of the 5,000 comes from people who are skeptical about miracles. 
They say that what really happened here by the seashore was that when Jesus' disciples started passing out the loaves and the fish, others in the crowd were inspired to open up their picnic baskets or their pockets and share what they had so that everybody got something to eat. Now, I don't buy that as an explanation of this miracle story. But I do think that sharing what we have in our picnic baskets and pockets can be a model of how God's abundance gets passed out in the world in which we live. And then, in God's kingdom to come, I expect that we won't need words like shortage or shortfall or scarcity or Darth or lack or any words like that. But I also think that as we spend time with Jesus in our daily lives and we see him take what seems to be too little and turn it into more than enough, we discover that we don't really have much use for those words right now either. Here's a story from G. William Jones. And uh, I hope it helps illustrate some of the concepts I've been talking about this morning. Uh, Mr. Jones calls his story a bargain with God. And it goes this way. Simon Pure dropped by to visit Penny Poor's store one day. He was disgusted to see the dust on Penny's showcases. So he shook his head and he sighed and he looked at the many bare shelves he saw there. Why do you suppose it is, he asked poor old Penny, that your store isn't as prosperous as mine? We both started at about the same time. We both invested about the same amount of money, almost nothing. But now I have a lovely store that nets me $500,000 a year after taxes, and you have only this dusty, half-stocked hole, which barely provides enough to pay your rent. Why is that, Penny? Penny stared blankly and he shrugged his thin shoulders and he said, I've often wondered that myself, Simon, but I don't know. Perhaps if I did know the answer, I could do something about it. Simon studied his gold wristwatch, the one with the diamond numbers on it, for just a brief second. And then he leaned close to Penny's ear and he whispered, I will tell you the secret. Penny's eyes got real wide and his head snapped right toward Simon and he begged, please tell me the secret. So Simon said, there's one difference between the way you went into business and the way I went into business, Penny. Simon said, with a, he said this with a kind smile at this poor little fellow he'd known for so many years. Then he said, when I started my store 23 years ago, I took God as my partner. Penny didn't know whether Simon was joking or not, but when Simon just let those words hang in the air, Penny swallowed and said, well, how did you do that? Easy, said Simon, if you know the Bible. That's where the secret is. 23 years ago, I promised God that if he'd make me prosper in my business, I'd give him a tenth of the profits, and I'd spend a month every summer doing missionary work for him. So that's where you go every summer, said Penny. Yes, said Simon, and we've both kept our ends of the bargain for all these years. Well, I've got to go now, but you now know the secret too. 
so I'm expecting to see some changes around here the next time I come to see you. He laughed a little bit, and then Simon left Penny to think about his advice. Penny did think about it. He thought about how he had supported his own little church for 23 years, sometimes borrowing against his insurance policy to pay a bill that his struggling congregation couldn't manage to pay. Penny reckoned that he had spent more than a tenth of his time working to keep that little church going as well. In addition, he'd always looked upon his storekeeping as, oh, sort of a ministry. He kept people from buying things that they didn't need or couldn't afford. He extended interest-free credit to people who seemed to need it. And he was a bit of a resident marriage counselor for the young men and women in the neighborhood. Penny thought about God and God's abilities, and he was somewhat surprised that it, it had never occurred to him to question God's generosity. But when he did think of it, Penny could not bring himself to blame God for the dust on his showcases or the empty spaces on the shelves. The thought of actually praying to God to prosper his business had never crossed Penny's mind. It embarrassed him to think of it. And then it caused him to shake with laughter a little bit at his, at his silly old self. Three months passed, and Simon Pure's store, it burned to the ground. And his skimpy insurance policies on the property didn't pay off half of the lost value. Penny tried to go visit Simon to cheer him up. But after knocking on Simon's door on three separate occasions, he received no answer he finally decided to send a sympathy letter. Penny wrote some things about God. He wrote some things about beginning again. And he wrote about how he would be glad to help Simon start his new store. Things like that. And then, a few days later, by return mail, he received Simon's reply. It was a one-line letter with four words. Those words were, There is no God. As I said when I began, tithing is a measure of sinfulness, and Simon Pure took it even a step further than that. He assumed it was also a bargaining chip. But when we join the crowd with Jesus at the seashore, we come to understand that God's way with us is not one of bargaining. It is instead we realize that God's way is one of wild abundance and generosity. And when we see what Christ can do with even the little that we do offer, then we begin to realize that there is no bargaining needed in the first place. Thanks be to God that he doesn't dole out his grace to us in a tithe-like approach. I've said twice, I'll say a third time, this Lenten journey takes us to the cross. What if Jesus only gave 10% at the cross? Our Lenten journey toward that cross has just begun. So during this season, let us give up. Let us give up giving things up. Instead, may we be moved by Jesus' example on the seashore that day to act ourselves in our own lives in his image, the image God gave us at our creation, 
and then to extend generous grace and compassion to all of our brothers and sisters. And may we always remember that the only thing that is truly needed of us is to figure out ways that we can share God's plenty with the others God has put in our path. Amen.